Good evening. This is Justin Ford in the studio for From the Frontline. Tonight we are considering and celebrating the incredible legacy of missionary Erlo Stegen, who at the age of 88 completed his earthly ministry and entered eternity one week ago on Tuesday, 26th of September. Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder and director of Frontline Fellowship, was on a mission to KwaZulu and arrived at Kwasizabantu Mission that very day. Dr. Hammond, how did you come to hear about the news of Erlo Stegen's passing and what did you find on arriving at Kwasizabantu Mission? Well, I'd been invited up to speak at the National Alliance for Life conference uh, organized by Doctors for Life and, uh, of course, I had no idea anything like this might happen, but I chose to come a week earlier than the conference, so I felt very strong burden to book my ticket for Tuesday. I didn't know why at the time, but when I arrived, I was told um, that as I arrived from flying from Cape Town, uh, they said, Uncle Ulla is before the great white throne of God right now. And uh, as I came to the home of the Stegans at Cross the Mission, the children, the grandchildren, and many of friends and co-workers were on the lawn outside uh, Uncle Ulla's house. And uh, one of the co-workers, a Zulu man, said to me, God has sent you to comfort us. Please come speak to us. So as I arrived, literally, uh, within minutes, I was speaking to the um, family and friends and co-workers. And well, the emphasis I could make was that our Lord Jesus Christ wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and he reminded Martha that her brother would rise from the dead. And Martha acknowledged that she knew that he would rise from the dead on the last day. And Jesus replied, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even though he dies. And that this is a great day for Uncle Lolo. We have lost a great leader and a great friend and a great example of excellence. But he has gained everlasting life and a well done, good and faithful servant. So, yes, uh, we know that this is a great loss for us, but this is no loss for Uncle Lolo. And we live in the land of the dying, but he is now in the land of the living. Now, we often think of people who've died as they're going to land of the dying, but no, our land is the land of the dying. Uh, heaven is the land of the living. They don't even have sleep there. They, they are more alive than we are in so many ways. So um, I was able to point out to them what I'd been reminded after we had cared at home uh, for uh, my wife for many months with her. Uh, suffering from cancer and chemo. And uh, Uncle Ola lost his wife to cancer back in 1997. Now, the Stegan family, his six daughters, his sons-in-law, and his 25 grandchildren have been diligently caring for him for two years of ill health. The the doctor uh, who lives on a mission station there, Dr. Albi van Eerden, who's also president of Doctors for Life, um, I asked him, uh, what did Uncle Ola die of? And he said, well, old age, but... On the, uh, he's 88 years old. On the death certificate, it says multi-organ failure, specifically respiratory and renal failure, total renal failure. There was no renal function whatsoever at the end. And he is having trouble breathing. They had to maximize the oxygen levels, uh, absolute maximum, and he is struggling to breathe at the end. So his family knew this, and they were all, that is, minutes were numbered. So the whole family was gathered around his bed, praying and singing with him. Uh, in his last hours. So I knew what it's like to pour heart and soul into caring for a loved one at home. Dr. Albee said he would have died two years ago if he had stayed in the hospital. Only his family's diligent care has kept him alive the last two years. So that's quite an extraordinary achievement that his family's 
so diligently cared for him through two years of ill health being bedridden at home. He couldn't have asked for more loyal and loving uh, daughters or sons-in-law for that matter. And uh, I remember hearing from somebody years ago, back in 1997, a man said, Earl Stegan's too strict. When his daughters turn 18, he'll never see them again. And yet, Earl Stegan had all six of his daughters, sons-in-laws, and his 25 grandchildren all living in and around his home. I mean, that's extraordinary. How many people in South Africa can say their children are even in the country, let alone in their home? So what a test me that, that is. And uh, extraordinary experience to see grown men, Zulus, crying and just the emotion. You can imagine there's a lot of grief um, and uh, a lot of sadness at Caesar Vance. I mean, they've, we've lost a lot. There's a, there's a great sense of shock and loss and grief. Even though it wasn't much of a surprise, he was sick. We knew that he couldn't last forever. But um, an 88 is not bad innings, to speak in cricket term. Um, the Lord poured so much into his years. And in December last year, we celebrated 70 years that Earl Stegen had been ministering. He's been preaching since he was 18 years old, mostly preaching in Zulu. In fact, it's funny, you'll have Earl Stegen preaching in Zulu, and you might have a Zulu man translating into English. Um, his Zulu was so good that the king of the Zulus, King Goodwill Zolantini, says the best Zulu is spoken of by Uncle Ola. I learned my Zulu and my diction from him. He is the best Zulu speaker in the kingdom. And so Ola Stegen is an extraordinary uh, person. And you could just see the, the whole of um, the mission stations affected. People are pouring in, coming from far and wide, um, from the Zulu royal family, the Swazi royal family. He is the most important Christian leader in that whole region area and uh, all of KwaZulu's come to a standstill and I would say that the funeral coming up this Sunday will be uh, probably the biggest event they've seen in many years maybe even eclipsing that of, of when the king died yeah that's very interesting um, that this is actually a, a major, major event for the Zulu nation very much yeah yes. um, Dr. Hammond, you've had a long, close relationship with Erlo Stegen for many years. How did you first come to meet him and come into contact with his ministry and his work? Well, interestingly enough, I was in the army uh, doing uh, my Bible study and prayer fellowship uh, back in 1980 when uh, Maurice Pretorius came in. Maurice Pretorius is a co-worker at KSB and actually is Uncle Erlo's favorite translator. There's many a, tr a sermon that was given by Erlo Stegen where uh, he had preached in, in English and uh, in Zulu, and Marius, who's Afrikaans, would be translating this to English. But Marius, the Zulu, and the English was so good. And Marius Pretorius, uh, a fellow soldier, part of my Bible and prayer fellowship, told me about Kwasabantu. He had come to Christ just six months before um, at KSB. He'd been a theological student studying for the ministry of the Dutch Form Church, but he came to full faith and surrendered to Christ through the ministry of KSB. And I must admit, while I liked and respected um, Maurice very much is an excellent Christian test me at, at uh, our Bible study fellowship in the 6th South African infantry but I couldn't really believe what he said it just sounded too good to be true and I was super skeptical but that's the first I heard about KSB but then in 1986 I received an invitation from Erlo Stegen to come and speak to their parents conference that was starting in January the 1st 1987 so 1987 I flew in uh, to Durban and was driven up to Kwasabant Mission and that's the first time I met Erlo Stegen, and uh, he was, uh, the first response he gave to my first presentation was a rebuke. He um, 
told me I'd spoken too short. Uh, I mean, I, as a good Baptist student, just come out of theological seminary, I made sure my message wasn't more than 20 minutes and uh, with translation even. And so he said, you know, we're not playing around here. Uh, don't give us sermonettes. Uh, we, want, we want the full thing. And he then spoke for quite a while expounding on what I'd said and said, next time we expect uh, a full message from you and uh, not some abbreviated thing. And uh, so that was first input from him. But then Ulla Stegen was so thoughtful, um, he organized his uh, pilot to fly me in their little uh, Cessna plane to a couple of the battle sites around uh, KwaZulu, because he knew my interest in history. So we went to Dinganstadt, Ungungungluvu, Ulundi, and a very interesting, well worth, good opportunity. And he was so thoughtful in different ways, but I got critical feedback regularly at night, sitting around the kitchen table um, on my messages and so on. And uh, at one point, I was rewarded by him saying, uh, you're developing into a powerful preacher. And he would give he would give criticism and critical feedback, but he could be encouraging too. So, yes, so we date back to 1987. I've been going to KSB a lot every year since then, sometimes for multiple times a year, and sometimes uh, I was there for a month at a time. And my wife's family knew the Stegans even before that too. And uh, so Bill Bathman had been going to Kwasabantu for a while, so they knew them as well, and Lenora knew Kwasabantu before um, I met her too. So our family on both sides was very involved with them. In fact, my daughter, Andrea, took her first steps at Kwasabantu Mission at 11 months old, and uh, uh, she was the only member of our family who could go running into Uncle Lolo's room, jump on his bed or into his lap if he was in a chair, and uh, none of the rest of us would dare do that, but she had that kind of relationship with the family that they just accepted her like one of them. So that's 36 years. Um, yes. Relationship. Okay. Um, Dr. Hammond, what is what what is Dr. Stil, uh, Stegen's Ella Stegen's church background, and how did he come to you know found Kwasubantu? Well, it's a fascinating story, and I thought I knew a lot about Kwasubantu's history because I've been going there for so long, and I've read books like God Amongst the Zulus by Kurt Koch. But uh, the book that's come out recently, Bond Servant of Christ by um, Elfrida Fleischmann, gives us the historic background going back to 1808. So. Um, Ulla Stegen's family background is Lutheran, and it grew out of a revival in northern Germany uh, connected with Louis Horms and uh, the Hermannsburg Mission, which is called the uh, North German uh, Mission. And uh, they started the North German Missionary Society in Hamburg, started in 1834. So we're talking about 190 years ago, they, they really had a vision that grew out of the revival they had in northern Germany of sending missionaries to Africa. And Louis Harms saw the cost of, of sea tickets was so high, he worked out it was cheaper to just uh, build their own ship because they wanted to send out whole communities, not just a single missionary. And the vision was a good vision of sending a whole community over to be the farmers, the carpenters, the bricklayers, uh, all working together, supporting the missionary. So if the missionary wouldn't be on his own, he would be as part of a community a self-supporting, self-sustaining missionary model where they've got the teachers, they've got the nurses, they've got a whole community there that can go into a community and help the pastor and the discipling of that community. And so Ulla Stegen's great-grandparents came out um, on the Candace, that's the name of the ship, Candace named after the Queen of Moreau or Northern Sudan, who 
who came to Christ um, uh, through the Ethiopian eunuch converted to Christ um, in Acts chapter 8 um, by the deacon Philip. And uh, from there, you can see um, the Candace ship, uh, that's the name, brought whole communities out to across the mountain. Erla Stegen, therefore, is a, a third-generation German born within South Africa. His great-grandparents came out as the early missionary settlers who came out to be a support to the missionary work. So his family were farmers. They all came from the Lutheran background. And he, um, when he needed to get his theological training, he went to the Lutheran Theological Seminary. So that's that's the denominational background. It's so fascinating to see this this whole um, history. And when we look at the history in Bond Servant of Christ, you can see the names of the great families at Quasimantu who are today the pillars of the co-workers, make it all work. They're all descendants of these missionaries who were sent out from Germany uh, on the Candace back um, over a century and a half ago. So dating right back to 1834 with the start of the North German Missionary Society, we've seen these families coming over and, and you know, whether you're talking about the Engelbrechts, all the different uh, well-known names there, the Eusters and so on, they've, the Witthofs, they've come from these families that were sent out by Louis Holmes to be a blessing in Africa. Their missionary models, such a good missionary model that Kwasamans has built into certainly the biggest and probably the most effective and productive missionary station in all of Africa. Is, did he study it uh, in Germany at the theological seminary? No, there? There, was a, there was a Lutheran seminary in South Africa. We've got a strong Lutheran base, in especially KwaZulu-Natal. So Erla Stegen came from Lutheran background, which also explains why the Sunday morning services are 11 a.m. Martin Luther was a major night, late-nighter, and uh, 11 a.m. was the latest he could have a Sunday morning service. So mm-hmm. I think it crossed him into the final suits him because the dairy farmers and so on all have a lot of work to do first, and so the, this is the earliest they can gather for church normally. So they, many of the people are from farming families. Yeah. Um, Kwasi Bantu mission has been targeted for much slander and abuse in the media, and owner um, and Erla Stegen has been at the center of a number of controversies. What do you know about these controversies, and what is your conclusion about this? Yes, well, there's a very nasty media group called uh, News 24 that we call Fake News 24-7, and uh, the uh, editor there had a title, you know, Controversial Cult Leader Dies, which is extremely uh, false news and extremely unkind, and quoted one of these nasty dissidents who hate KSB, um, Erica Borman, as saying, the world is a better place without Erla Stegen, praise that he gets no peace and no rest. So that's um, that's the kind of hostility you get from some sides. So there are some people who really hate Kwasabans and hate Uncle Erla, and I think the best answer to that is the book A Journey to the Truth, the case of Kwasabans mission by Gerda Potkita. Gerda's the editor of Devoted magazine. She normally just focuses on good, uplifting testimonies. But here she did uh, real investigative journalism to get to the heart of all the um, attacks on KSB and found that basically there's a lot of greed, there's a lot of malice, there's a lot of jealousy, and uh, there's some family squabbles and people trying to gain control of an extremely successful, productive farm and bottling factory and uh, ministry that there's people who involved in a power grab and attempted hostile takeover of the mission, who've been trying to slander them to make possible land invasions and uh, um, seizing of uh, these extremely profitable 
businesses and ministries that have been developed up over the years by Erlo Stegen's sacrifice and hard work. So my understanding of these uh, attacks is that they are slander, they unjustified, and they're malicious, and there's really a campaign against them. And I went to bat for Caspi back in 2020 when News 24, Fake News 24-7 started their attacks because I knew some of the players involved in the battles. And some of the accusers, uh, I knew their backgrounds were quite uh, nefarious. So, for example, one, Muzi Kaneni, who is the source of quite a lot of the controversies and uh, who's also been accused of a lot of the sexual abuse cases, that he, by his own estimation and testimony, is a, a, was a false Christian who pretended to join KSB back in 1978 because the ANC told him to join it. So he's a spy for the ANC in 1994, uh, when Mandela became president, Muzi uh, Kaneni left KSB and joined National Intelligence Service. And he's now in jail for murder. Um, and uh, his job apparently was to uh, slander and destroy anybody that the government wanted um, um, targeted. So that was one of the sources of a lot of the nonsense. Another one was Kursi Hriff, who by his own testimony was a spy asked by military intelligence uh, under the National Party government to infiltrate KSB and report back to the security police. So you had two spies from two sides who are the key players in these attacks on KSB, which I think, you know, conflict of interest and so on, but know where they come from. I also knew um, this Erica Bornman, or at least I know her sister, um, who's married to my good friend Maurice Pretorius, who's the first... Um, person who told me about cross mission and so I, I know the nieces and uh, the sister and the mother of one of the biggest attackers on the mission and they say what she's saying is lies and it's so dishonest and uh, so unbalanced and so on so because i knew enough from my personal context i had to speak up with what i knew and defend our friends against this unjustified slander and this malicious campaign and really it was character assassination that was going on so um, it's an extraordinary campaign of hate and slander and against one of the most outstanding missions in Africa that's doing so much good. In fact, I've asked a political leader uh, a while ago. Uh, we had Kenneth Meshu of the ACDP, African Christian Democratic Party, at our mission. I said, Dr. Kenneth, do you know any government department that's doing more to actually help people on the ground, uplifting them, providing jobs and helping people in need and education and so on, then Erlo Stegen, his co-workers in the Quest of Transmission. He said, I don't know any government who's doing more to help the people on the ground than Erlo Stegen. Forget about departments. So uh, I think that's a valid point right there. By their fruit, you'll know them. Hmm. In the many years of your um, traveling to Quest Ubuntu mission, what have you observed, Dr. Hammond? Well, uh, let me give you uh, an example of the kind of generosity, hospitality, that's just so extraordinary there because you see hardworking people with a real strong Protestant work ethic, which is exactly what, Ulis, uh, what uh, uh, was taught by Martin Luther, the need for Protestant work ethic. And you see it at work at Kwasimantu. It's a real tribute to the Lutherans who founded them, uh, the vision of Louis Holmes, the vision of, of the North German Missionary Society uh, and the Protestant Reformation itself. Back in 1992, I was traveling with my wife, Lenora, and our first child, Andrea, who was not even one years old yet. She was only 11 months. And as we were traveling up to KSB, our car's engine seized in the middle of the crew. It was the middle of summer, boiling hot, January, and uh, the engine just seized near the Three Sisters Mountains. 
about 560 kilometers out of Cape Town, a thousand kilometers before across the Bantu. So I, of course, back then there's no cell phones or anything like that. Write a note, pass to a car passing by. AA later came and towed us to a nearby town and uh, tried to get things fixed. It was beyond their capabilities. The whole engine seized. And uh, so towards the end of the day, I get one of these red ticky boxes. You know, we actually put uh, money in and phoned across the intermission through the reception. That's back when it had a switchboard, uh, really dates things. And uh, I had to leave the message, sorry, I'm going to be late uh, for this conference tomorrow. And uh, it was Chell Olson who picked up the phone and he said, just one minute. And uh, literally a minute later, he was back and he said, Uncle Ola says, wait right where you are. He's sending his driver and car to fetch you. Now, we were a thousand kilometers from Kwasabantu. Yet within a few hours, we had a farmer from the Free State, Gideon Jakob, suddenly turned up with his Mercedes and he towed my car 280 kilometers to his farm in Smithfield. So he's towing car. Lenora and my daughter are in the Mercedes with the farmer, Gideon Jacobs, who's running the Quest of Intermission at Smithfield in Orange Free State. When we get to his home, his wife's got a meal prepared. So as we finish the meal, Ulla Stegan's driver turns up with his car at the door. We bundle in and we drive through the night. As we arrive at Quest of Intermission the next morning, as we go through the gate, the sun's rising. I made my meetings. I didn't miss a thing. I was able to go straight to it. My wife and daughter could go to bed because it had been a pretty sleepless last few nights, but um, I was I didn't miss a beat. But who would send their car a thousand kilometers out of their way to fetch you? And that's not the end of the story. Um, within two weeks, as uh, as the two weeks was over and I was, we were about to finish, uh, Gideon Jacobs let us know that the car's engine had been repaired and fixed and so on. And if we could uh, send, so I sent one of our people up to pick up the car and bring it back to cross the country. So by the time we finished, my car was fixed, ready, ready to roll, and uh, all the rest of it. Good for another couple hundred thousand kilometers, new engine, uh, basically. Now, the, that sort of thoughtfulness, um, the Stegan family, uh, absolutely amazing, but the generosity of Uncle Ulla. And I have met so many people just in the last week that I was up and crossed the country, people who said, Ulla Stegan paid for my education. Ulla Stegan paid for my driver's license, enabled me to get the, uh, you know, he he climbed into the, he dug the grave for my father, and he is in the grave there helping take the body in the coffin. And Ulla Stegan picked us up when we were sick and on the side of the road. When my husband died, my uh, Ulla Stegan came then, brought us the food we needed, uh, hired a tent for us to accommodate family and friends for the funeral, and, and helped cover all the costs and, things like this. The amount of people who, you know, my life was ruined and wrecked and uh, he invested in our life and, and restored us. And there's so many testimonies like that. You walk around Kwasabanta Mission, you meet people who used to be drug addicts, drug pushers, gangsters, criminals. I was counseling one man at the youth conference and uh, he had hired a hitman to murder his father uh, when he was 18 years old. When this youngster was 18 years old, he hired a hitman to murder his father that he could take over his business. This is a young Indian man from Durban giving me this testimony. There was one woman I met, uh, a large woman who was part of the choir, who had hired a big truck to take all the things she'd stolen back to the people she'd stolen from as restitution. And there's so many testimonies like this. Lives transformed. People changed. They've, over the years, had 18,000 drug addicts come there for rehabilitation. Now, you know, drug rehab is not only difficult, it's expensive. Quasimant is 
freely given people drug addict rehabilitation. 18,000 people, more than 18,000, have successfully come out of drugs as a result of their work. Now, is there a government department anywhere that's done anything remotely to compare? And they've got a whole choir just of young youngsters who used to be gangsters and drug addicts and drug dealers. And now they look like trophies of grace. So there's a lot of amazing things there. And uh, so what I've seen amongst other things is the first thing you see as you drive into the mission is everything is clean, neat, absolutely magnificent, well-ordered, well-landscaped. And you can see a lot of love and care has gone into the place. There's a big landing strip in the middle because people come from far and wide and uh, some fly in. And I was once there when one of the planes came in and crashed through the fence and burned out next to a, a building, which today is their, uh, their workshop, and they've got um, also crockery and, and woodwork being done there. And uh, for the whole week I was there, I saw this burned-out smoldering wreck of this plane. I mean, things like that did happen. And uh, Kurt Koch once documented a plane crash that happened near there in the mist. It's, it's quite high in the mountains, and often it's misty, and many a time... I've driven through the mist to get to KSB. In fact, at one time I thought it permanently lived in the mist, but not always. They've got a 10,000-seater auditorium built by Dr. Philip Stott, the creation scientist. Phenomenal engineering feat. People come from far and wide to see this massive auditorium, 10,000-seater, that doesn't have any pillars. It's uh, self-supporting from its sides. It's, it's got a curved dome and quite an amazing uh, construction. And this burned down in 2008, we rebuilt in 2009, and the second is even better than the first, uh, built on the same foundation. Though. So uh, an amazing work, and they, it, it's been full back in December when we had 70 years of Earl Stegan's ministry. It was absolutely packed to flowing, more than 10,000 people there. And bear in mind, Kwasaman's mission never takes an offering, and they don't charge people to come to the camps and courses. Now, just think of the logistical challenge of providing lunch for 10,000 people. I mean, just the logistics, and they do it. And as we came to this big tent that was on the sports field, the school field, uh, Kenneth Mesh of the ACDP was with me, and he looked and he said, only the Germans could organize like this. And, uh, I mean, he knows what it is to organize rallies and tents and catering. And he is just so impressed, and many people are impressed. The quality of farming, the quality of workmanship, of carpentry, everything at Questament is done well and excellently as unto the Lord. So... Earlier this year, in March, I spoke at a minister's conference. Over 2,000 ministers from over 60-odd countries around the world came together for the minister's conference there. And again, nobody charged free accommodation, free food, and, and not just food, but good food, feasts in many cases. And in July, I spoke at the youth conference. Over 7,000 young people from all over the country gathered there for the youth conference. Amazing amount of work. And, and they do this twice a year, hosting youth. So... Their choir goes all over the world ministering. They've got outreaches, planting churches and new missions in many different parts of KwaZulu. And uh, they've also got a teacher training college that has students from as far afield as Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, Switzerland, Romania, Russia, uh, Korea. And uh, Cedar College, it's a, it's a really excellent teacher training college. I think they're affiliated with the Potchefstroom or Northwest University School of uh, Higher Christian Education. And uh, they also have a school, DSS, which dominates Servat School, which has sometimes had the top students in a year in the whole country, 
uh, in terms of science and uh, metric. So uh, it's they've produced some very extraordinary people from their from their school. There's the radio station Radio Quasi, which is the largest Christian community radio station in the country, and it broadcasts 24 hours a day, English, German, Afrikaans, and Zulu. Very effective and popular. Uh, not only that, but they've got um, shops, they've got carpentry, they've got a dairy, they produce high-quality vegetables and fruit, which are sold in Woolworths and um, export quality and, and bought by airlines. You know, their avos, their uh, dragon fruit, their pawpaws, their pineapples, just a very, very high quality of, of agriculture. And uh, everything about their businesses there is so excellent. What's also amazing is they've got the largest water bottling plant in the country, and they're the market leader, Aquila. When the original owner of the land sold the property in 1970, he said he was selling because there wasn't enough water there for his cows. Well, now they're bottling thousands of liters of water a day and selling it all over the country, and they've, they've got three top-class springs which are pumping out at such a phenomenal rate. And it's some of the purest water in the country. And what's funny is you've got co companies like Coca-Cola wanting to get into this market. And they, they went all the way around Quasimantu with different farms around to dig down to see if they could find a similar um, well point or spring. Even close to the border, they can't find it. So like Quasimantu just happens to be on the spot of the best quality water in the country. And Aquila is the market leader. And that bottling factory is a source of a lot of employment, of course, and um, the funding from that has also enabled them to help people when people are caught in disasters, when there's been floods, when there's been the riots uh, in KwaZulu. Aquila has often been out there helping families and communities when they were in the lockdown lunacy, helping people who are without jobs and in dire straits and disadvantaged communities. So they are using this as a means of helping many more people. So what I've seen is a lot of productivity and a lot of fruit for the gospel. Yeah, what impressed me is a photograph of either the bottling plant or one of their produce plants, and it said they had a huge sign for the workers on the wall, and it says, the customer is king. <laughs> well, that's a free market attitude, because yeah. in a socialist attitude, the customer's an irritation and an interruption to yeah. scrolling through their cell phone or having a tea time or whatever. And uh, yes, so the attitude should be, how can I help you? And we'll make a plan. Uh, whereas the government's attitude is, it cannot be done. Mm. And uh, uh, come back later and a man with the key's not here. Yeah. Um, your family and the Stegen family have a lot of contact. What have you experienced in your interactions as families? Well, um, my youngest, uh, I should say my, my oldest daughter, uh, who was the youngest at the time, uh, Andrea, she always had such good reactions to them. She was able to go to them to the beach. She was able to go with them in family events and join them around the table. And uh, Ulla Stegen accepted her so much that she could literally run into his bedroom anytime. And, and uh, you know, none of us would dream going in without knocking and being invited and so on. Uh, but the Stegans lost uh, their mother, uh, Uncle Ulla, lost his wife, Auntie Kay, 1997 to the same kind of cancer that got my wife later. So we felt a real bond that we had had to battle caring for an um, ill loved one at home. And um, and there was a lot of um, immediate 
understanding there. So when we cared for Lenora in her last months, uh, the first people to reach out to us when Lenora passed away uh, were the Stegans. They, they sent uh, missionary co-workers to our home that, in fact, we were still carrying Lenora's body out and giving her a paddle on a guard when they arrived and they parked at a respectful distance and later came with all kinds of food and prepared meals so that we didn't need to worry about that. And they understood what we were going to go through. So when Ulla Stegan heard I was looking for a farm to bury Lenoran off at their farm in Frunchuk. And they were so thoughtful and so helpful on so many different levels. Even offering to and running the, the meal, they catered for the whole supper after the funeral. They then recognized the costs I'd have when it came to the funeral, the, the burial, and all the rest. Uh, so uh, they provided money for that. They were just thoughtful on every level, right down to some of the Stegan daughters coming down and bringing gifts for the grandchildren, knowing what were age-appropriate gifts for boys um, that would help them while they're grieving as well, and just the thoughtfulness on every level. As In fact, when when I've gone back to Kwasabans Mission, they're so concerned when I got um, kidney stones or stroke, uh, they were so concerned that I come and stay there that they can help um, see me uh, healthy again and protect my time and keep me safe from interruptions and so on so that I could recover from these things. So sometimes I feel like um, I feel more at home sometimes in a Stegan home than I do in my own and more loved by their family than even by my own. It's just they are such a loving, supportive Christian family. It's it's a privilege to be considered part of them. In fact, I just had Dr. L.B. von Heerden say to me, that uh, at that youth conference, I think it was 2016, when Uncle Ola came forward um, after having me preach on a Sunday morning service where he is scheduled, but he had asked me to take it then. He came, he put his arm around me, and he, he said, the way he spoke about you as a man of God, he said, we recognize that um, Uncle Ola had adopted you as one of his sons and that you're one of our co-workers too. So he was just reminding me of this when I was at the Doctors for Life conference um, in Durban um, he was concerned that I was coming back to Cape Town after the conference and that you must be at the funeral. Uncle Ola saw you as as, as an adopted son and I, I I've never missed um, I'm committed I'll be back next week make no mistake mm. but just the the love that was poured out. can also say on two occasions I went to the post office just before going on a mission to Europe back in days when the Iron Curtain was up and we were smuggling behind the Iron Curtain. And as I went to the to the post box, there was an envelope in it with a whole lot of Deutschmark. Uh, before the Euro, there was Deutschmark. Mm. Um, in cash, in the envelope from Uncle Ulo. Now, on neither occasion did he know that I was traveling to Europe, let alone going through Germany to East Germany. But um, that he was so sensitive to the Lord that he would send me cash and Back then, our postal service must have been a lot more reliable, 1980s. It not only did, did arrive, but the cash was untouched. So on two occasions, he sent through a large amount of cash to me through the post, which enabled me to do what God had called me to do on a, those missions behind the Iron Curtain. That kind of sensitivity, the, the Stegans have helped on so many levels. When I wanted to do the Reformation 500, he organized the Euro Choir to come. That's over 100 um, strong youth choir from Europe down to Cape Town to launch our Reformation 500 year at 
Frontrick and Hugo Monument, and we organized this massive outreach at the waterfront. We were in the amphitheater there, and uh, Earl Stegen opened the prayer, and we had uh, the Iroquois singing in this busiest of tourist attractions at the waterfront. And uh, in fact, when that started, uh, I had this, the security people coming saying, oh, we've got to shut this down. We had a complaint from a Jewish woman that the man standing up there was mentioning Jesus. And uh, we're kind of proselytizing here. And so I asked to see the supervisor. I did every delaying tactic to let Uncle Ola finish what he was saying and kept uh, holding these security people at bay. And uh, by the time the supervisor came and was, oh, but we have to close this down because this woman complained and he was mentioning Jesus. And I, I was saying, listen to people. Everyone was singing Amazing Grace at that stage. And the, the crowd was into it. I said, do you want to riot? The people love this. And now he said, okay, carry on. Well, by then, Uncle Earl had finished speaking, prayed, and he had done what he had meant to do, and I'd kept them at bay. But we then were at the largest, oldest Protestant church in the Southern Hemisphere, the Strand Street Lutheran Church, with the Uruguay for Reformation Sunday, and then in Frontrook for the Reformation Day service, and we were at the Huguenot Monument with the, with the Uruguay, and uh, then a concert in the Dutch Form Church in, in Frontrook, which was all magnificent. And he also saw the Uruguay came through to Wittenberg for us on the Reformation 500 on October 2017 at um, Wittenberg, Luther's town. And so Erle Stegen believed in what we were doing and he supported it so much. At one time, Erle Stegen said, if I was younger, I would have liked to have joined Frontline Fellowship and gone with you to Sudan. At another time, I contacted him and I said, did he know of a farmer who could come with us to help teach the people in Sudan um, good farming methods. He said, I wouldn't want to uh, give anyone else a task. I'm, I'd want to selfishly do it myself. He said, I'll come and teach people farming. Uh, he said, all his life he'd, he's wanted to do this kind of work going out. Well, of course, he did so much planting so many missions all around Zulu and so on. But uh, I think it had gotten a bit tame from him and not violent and risky enough by then. And he started to hanker for doing frontline work. So when I asked him at one point if he had accepted an honorary membership into Frontline Fellowship and be one, part of our, our board, he was delighted to say yes uh, uh, because uh, he said he'd always loved our mission and if he hadn't been given the mission God had given him, he would have gladly joined this one. So uh, we couldn't have had a closer relationship as far as the families go and uh, my wife loved Kwasabantu and they loved her and we have had so many good Memories, just the uh, uh, most productive ministry. And uh, I don't know of anybody who is a better example of excellence uh, or who's been a better mentor uh, than Erlo Stegen. Yeah, so the death of Erlo Stegen, uh, not only a blow to you, but to the mission of, of course, is about to itself. So how are they coping? What are the prospects for the future? Is there any heir apparent to take over the work and continue the ministry of Erlo Stegen? No, there's, there's no heir apparent, and let's face it, there's no one person who could ever take over what Uncle Ola was doing. He's absolutely unique, not just one in a billion, but um, uh, one in many billions. There's, where do you get people like that these days? It's absolute, it's another generation. I don't think there's another hundred missionaries who could do what he was doing. Uh, so, um, nevertheless, I think there's good prospects for the future. When Ola Stegen was asked, what's going to happen after you die? He was not worried. He said, you know, the same God who uh, called him to this work will raise up others. And he's 
he's got every hope and expectation that his children and his grandchildren will love the Lord more wholeheartedly and hate sin more than he has and be more zealous and fervent. So he's got great hope for the future. And uh, I um, think it's also in some ways a bit of a mercy of God that um, he didn't take Uncle Earl away far, um, quickly, but there's been a good two years of people knowing he's 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 uh, dying, he's not able to continue to everything he did before. And with the renal failure and respiratory failures and some Parkinson's, um, so many of the people have been stepping in and filling the gap. So for the last two years, his children and co-workers have been doing a lot of the work already. And I think um, you can see the ministers' conference, the youth conferences in the last uh, two years have been super successful. A lot of things are continuing. The radio ministry, the choirs, the bottling factory, the uh, schools, they're doing so well that you've got to say that he's trained his people well and there are enough people to fill the gap at this stage. What are the plans for the funeral, Dr. Allen? This coming Sunday, the 8th of October, is going to be the funeral, and it's huge. They already, you know, the Zulu way is that people come to the home and they, they come to commiserate with you, they come to cry with you, as I say, they come to, to share, and everyone must be free to say what they want to say. So every night, there are people coming. The first night after Uncle Ola died, there were at least 100 people in the home. And the whole choir was there to sing to the family, and the families all there, and the children, the grandchildren, the sons and all. People standing up giving their testimonies of what Uncle Lola did for them and, and all that. I mean, they had no hope and how he believed them and he helped them and uh, he was there for them. And and it's an extraordinary thing. And every day I just saw more and more cars coming down the road towards Stegen home. And you sort of want to protect the children. They've just run a marathon of caring for an ailing father uh, who is bedridden. And uh, they should have the right to relax because they, they and mourn because they must be physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted. Uh, that's how it is after you've been caring for a loved one who's who's ailing in your home. Um, but the people are coming. So uh, one thing the mission has done to help them is they got a catering company in and convert the school hall into a, a dining room to cater for the people each night because the first day the Stegans were catering for all the guests. And they'd be running around doing it all. Well, after that, at least lunches and suppers were being done at the school hall. They built another tent out on the landing strip, the airstrip, uh, to accommodate people coming. They put a, another tent in the garden to accommodate people coming. And, I mean, this includes everyone from the premier of KwaZulu Natal came the day after Uncle Lola died Wednesday morning to give a tribute. And members of the royal family, there's just a never-ending stream of dignitaries, chiefs, pastors. I mean, people who are Lutherans and and uh, other different denominations coming through uh, to pay their respects and show solidarity with the family. And it's going to continue right up until the funeral on the 8th. So on the 8th, the funeral is going to start at 10 o'clock in the morning at Quasa Munch at the main auditorium. And that uh, I've already been to the cemetery where they've prepared the, or are preparing the grave, the rockery and everything where Uncle Ola will be laid to rest. And, uh, there's a lot of logistics that's got to take place this weekend. People are super busy. Just think of the logistics of catering for more than 10,000 people just for a, a meal. Um, but there's so many other things they've got to think of too, practically. And so uh, work is on the go to prepare for this. And we expect the Zulu royal family, the Swazi royal family, a lot of dignitaries, of course, Zulu Natal. Uncle Ulo is, without a doubt, the most important spiritual leader in all of Kwazulu Natal. 
I would say in the country, I don't think since the days of Andrew Murray that there's been a minister of the gospel who's had such a huge spiritual impact. A hundred years from now, people will be talking about Ernest Deegan like we talk about Andrew Murray today or more because it's it's such a broad ministry and it's gone so deep as well. Where can listeners learn more about the incredible life and legacy of Ola Stegan? Well, on the www.ksb.org.za website, that's Quasavansi Missions website, ksb.org.za. And by the way, the funeral will be carried live on that website. So if people go to ksb.org.za website on Sunday, they'll be able to watch the funeral live streamed at, at 10 o'clock. And there's an excellent book that's come out, Bond Servant of Christ, uh, Erlo Hartwig Stegen by uh, Alfreda Fleischmann, which you can obtain from Christian Liberty Books. And it's outstanding. It's 300 pages, 209 pictures, most of which are in color. Absolutely extraordinary history. And uh, those who want to get the counter to the hostility and anti Quasabanti slanders can get A Journey to the Truth, The Case of Quasabanti Mission by Gerda Protkita, both available from admin at christianlibertybooks.co.za or you look on the website www.christianlibertybooks.co.za So those are great sources. Also there's um, God Amongst the Zulus by uh, Kurt Koch. That's one of the old classics back from the 70s. But uh, I'd say Bond Servant of Christ is the best book. And if you go on the Frontline website, you'll see some articles we've written on an example of excellence, a tribute to the life and legacy of Erla Stegen, and Erla Stegen, an example of excellence in missions, ministry and revival. We've got quite a few pictures, and we've got links to different videos and to the KSB website, so that's all on the Frontline Mission SA.org website as well. Dr. Ammon, what do you think the future holds for Kwasi's Ubuntu Mission? It's survived already now. 60 years of revival and 70 years of Uncle Erla's ministry. It's going to keep going strong. His six daughters... His sons-in-law, his 25 grandchildren, they're going to ensure the work's carried on. He's got over 120 co-workers. I think uh, we might see more people want to Christ through the funeral and his testimony and the books and videos that come as people hear about the, the loss of this great man of God in our country than maybe even during his life. You know, it said about Samson when Samson um, pulled down the temple of Dagon that he killed more Philistines in his death than he had in his life. And the ministry of Uncle Erlo is going to continue. A lot of his sermons are available on the ksb.org.za website and through the books and through the ongoing ministry. Um, he still is speaking, so I think, uh, make no mistake, uh, the future for Quest of Intermission is still as bright as the promises of God. Um, bearing in mind that he's ends, well, the founder of his uh, family's mission from Germany, one of his great fears was uh, rationalism and the Enlightenment. So, bearing in mind that, what do you think Erlo Stegen would say to us today? The cost of disobedience is far greater than the cost of obedience. Yes, there's a cost of obedience, but the cost of disobedience is much greater. And Erlo Stegen regularly challenged us to make do a thorough job of sin, repentance of, from sin, and restitution. The deeper you lay the foundations, the taller the building can go. So, if you want a blessed life, do a solid job of repentance, confession of sin, and restitution. And that's like this, the, the roots and the foundation. And the better the foundation, the taller the tree can grow, the taller the building can go, and uh, the greater the blessing. So his words, I think, would be, the cost of obedience is serious, but the cost of disobedience is a thousand times greater. Mm. Dr. Hammond, thank you very much for your insights into... Kwasi Bantu and the national treasure that is, well, is Ola Stegen. Um, in closing, 
I'd like to share um, chapter 12 and verse 2 from Hebrews. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.